This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Super Bowl champion Rick Doc Walker with some straight talk about race. We have younger people who aren't as racist by nature. Our millennials, I'm proud of them. I got three of them. And they have marched in unity and opened this up. People my age or whatever, stick a fork in them for the most part. But this next generation is open to change. The rest of the country for my is just full of crap. Coming up in this episode of Colors. The Sergeant Major of the Army on the struggle of being biracial. Sometimes my life I felt like it's in the movie The Green Book where the actor gets out of the car and he says, I'm not black enough for the black people. I'm not white enough for the white people. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. With Chris Kaur and J.J. Green. I'm Chris Kaur, and I'm white. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. We have got an awesome guest today on our show, and... You know, I am really honored and uh, happy that we were able to to have this individual on our show today. It's the Sergeant Major of the Army, Michael Grinston. He was sworn in as the 16th Sergeant Major of the Army in August of 2019, and he's held every enlisted leadership position in artillery, ranging from cannon crew member to Sergeant Major. And his awards decorations include the Army Distinguished Service Medal, Defense Superior Service Medal, Legion of Merit, Bronze Star with Valor, Bronze Star Medal, and on and on and on. This is a great opportunity for us to do exactly what Colors is all about. What we're trying to do is encourage dialogue between the races, different races, all different races. And Sergeant Major of the Army, Michael Grinston, is the perfect voice for that. And here's why he's the perfect voice. A tweet that he sent out on June 5th says it all. In our Army, we have to trust and understand one another. We have to be willing to tell our stories. Here's part of my story. I was born in 1968. My father was black. My mother was white. When I was three, they divorced and I moved to Alabama. Racial identity is something that I struggle with my entire life. Coming to grips with both sides of my identity, at one point I decided I would put black on the form. And at that time, I only had two choices. So I handed the form that I was given to the lady, and she said, that's not funny. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you shouldn't mark that. I said, well, I explained to her I was black and white, and I didn't have too many choices for anything else on that form. Sometimes my life, I felt like it's in the movie, The Green Book, where the actor gets out of the car and he says, I'm not black enough for the black people. I'm not white enough for the white people. That's my story. That 
is really powerful. Sergeant Major, first, let me just welcome you to the show. Yeah, thanks, uh, JJ, for having me. I'm uh, I'm really proud to be here. Yeah. Um, you know, reading those awards, I kind of go, "Wow, uh, who's that guy?" <laughs> well, it's you. So <laughs> let me just uh, let me just say something to start this off. I was listening to a tweet. And this was another tweet, a different tweet from the one we just heard. Right now, our nation and our army are struggling with racial inequalities. Soldiers and leaders are struggling with this difficult topic. Now is the time for us to listen to each other and when necessary, take the appropriate action. Now is the time for us to stand tall for our nation and our army. I want to ask you to start first. What, why did you do that? And what was your thinking in going through that process? Uh, well, first of all, you know, I, I think we, we talk to each other, but maybe we're, talking past each other. So the first part of that, now is the time to listen. And and for maybe the first time in maybe 245 years, that's, you know, how long we've had the Army, you know, to actually listen to what the other person's saying. You can see it in our country. Uh, you can see it in our soldiers. We've been saying these things, but maybe we're not receiving all the messages. So that was one, to not actually... You know, there's words coming out, but to actually hear and maybe empathize with the pain uh, of what we're going through. So the the first piece is actually listen and try to empathize with what's going on. But then um, I really wanted to take it even further and to actually take an action. Meaning, once you hear something, don't just, you know, do what we've been doing. Go, yep, yep, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, just... Um, actually say, hey, this isn't what we need to do, and we need to fix it, whatever this is, uh, and we need to do that now. Don't wait. Um, and then lastly, you know, the, you know, stand tall for your nation is, um, you know, I love the Army, and I love being, and I've been in the Army for 32 years, is that, um, you know, we are a diverse military. I think we've, on the enlisted side, we've done extremely well. Um, uh, but, you know, don't don't I just didn't want to disregard all that. Um, we st we have a long way to go with um, all the things that were going on in the country right now. Um, but I still want us to stand tall, be proud of what we've done. But uh, how are we going to move forward? You say that you have had a difficult time your whole life struggling with your racial identity. Can you explain to me why it is a struggle? Well, you just, and if you saw Twitter, you know, sometimes uh, you're not, you know, white enough for the white people, and sometimes you're not black enough for the black people. Um, that's what I, that was the struggle, is where do I fit in? Um, you know, you know, I just tried to be the best version of me I could be, um, regardless of the race, and I think that's what everybody wants. Um, but when you, when you're, you know, a young man growing up in Alabama, you're, you're just, like everybody else in the world, you just want to fit in with a group. You love your family. And I, my family did a wonderful job and I, they care for me. I never had any issues with my family, but you know, you still wanted to fit in with this group and what group is that? <laughs> so that's what I meant is that I was struggling with this internal, um, confirmation of, of my own, you know, identity of what group 
was I associated with. I guess the reason I asked that, I wonder if I just just to name three prominent people who are of, um, you know, or biracial. Uh, Barack Obama. I wonder if he's struggled with that his whole life. Um, Rashida Jones, if anybody knows who she is, is an actress. Uh, and Kamala Harris, who, you know, may be the vice presidential candidate. All are mixed race. I wonder if they struggle or is it something unique to you being in Alabama? Um, well, my opinion, once I, um, I've gotten a lot of feedback from either the Twitter posts or the CBS um, show that I did that there was a lot of people who reached out to me and said, hey, I really appreciate that. And it wasn't just you know, black and white. It was, um, I had a, a friend of mine that I'd known for a long time. He's a Korean, but he was adopted and his parents were white and he got, you know, people called him, you know, something bad. It was negative. I'm not even going to say it, but Mm -hmm. you know, he's like, well, you know, my parents were white. So I, that's who I grew up with, but I'm Korean. So again, that struggle. So a lot of people have reached out to me and said, yeah, I was, you know, had similar, you know, questions. Um, and it, it's just one of those things that, um, you know, when I said that several people have uh, reached out to me and said, yeah, they had similar well, issues. Sarge major, um, just know that this is a place where we understand your situation and we understand the nuances of it. And Chris's question, <laughs> you know, about what other people are thinking, you know, that's, that's, that's their thing. But yours is what you said, and we greatly and deeply appreciate what you said on behalf of yourself. And uh, I recognize and understand um, being, you know, where you are in your position, it, 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 you know, it may be difficult at some time. But back to what you said before about taking those necessary actions, it looks as though the military is moving towards a more racially equitable situation. Can you share some uh, insight into what you're thinking and knowledge of that, that movement is? Um, first of all, I really, um, I really like where we're going and, uh, you know, the leadership and what we've, the, the, some of the just immediate actions that we did, um, to make it more, first of all, um, the, it, it sounds very simple, but the, the pictures in the promotion boards, just removing those, remove some of those unconscious bias where your records speak out for you. Um, and we don't even know when we do it. I think that, I think that's everybody. You look at somebody and you immediately think this, whatever this is, and they haven't even said anything to you. So I think as the army moves forward, we remove that unconscious bias or that picture. And then it allows us to, to review the records and, I think that is one of those things that uh, we we did immediately, and I'm I'm really proud that we do that. Um, uh, The second one is, you know, taking my own advice was listening. We've got the, you know, your voice matters that we're going to do throughout the installations, but I've already had, I don't know, at least 10 sessions with uh, uh, junior enlisted soldiers. We're just talking about things that we need to do better. Do I need to do different policies on how we promote folks. So um, I'm really proud of uh, the, the things that they're telling me. I'm trying to listen as much as I can. So I want to jump just one really quick follow-up uh, on this uh, as this process is moving its way through the military. 
You know, flags and names of installations uh, have been in the news lately. And I'm wondering, how do you view these names, the name changes, and the discussions around changing the names of bases? Yeah. Um, well, uh, for the names of the bases, is you know, clearly there's it's a lot of controversy. Uh, I've talked to some soldiers uh, of you know different races. Some are extremely passionate about it, and some are just like I didn't know. Um, so you you clearly get you know the extremes on both sides. You get extremes on both sides, and then you get people that just maybe are just disinterested. Uh, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, we've recommended you know we commission or look at the the names of the bases, but that's clearly between the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of the Army, and the President on whether that commission gets done. So, um, But the soldiers are, they're talking to me about it. Uh, It's clearly on their minds. I'd like to follow up on what you said about uh, when you're looking at the uh, promotions, uh, taking the photographs out so people don't make any assumptions. I started doing something probably at least a decade ago, and that is when I'm given a form, if it asks for my race, I either ignore it. Uh, if there's a choice to say prefer not to answer, I check that. The only time I answer to say that I'm Caucasian or white, uh, I did it for the census because to me that made sense. It's kind of important. And I'll do it for medical reasons. But other than that, I never answer that question anymore. Uh, I just, after a while, it started to bother me. It was nobody's, it was things that were irrelevant. And I'm like, well, stop talking about that. And sometimes I'd write in American. Um, is that a good thing to do? Is that is that is that on the right side, uh, or am I just being belligerent? Of course, I don't. If you unfortunately, I got too many stories about that form and those forms, so and it just goes on and on. Um, and I'll just give you one, and and then I'll give you the answer to your question. My story, and this was recent. Um, uh, the Force, Forces Command Sergeant Major, which you know, has a very large population of uh, the Army. In other words, the job that I held right before getting to this job. And uh, you're right, I had a medical appointment, and it was there it was again. Now, I've, I've had this question on the form forever. And when I first came in the Army 32 years ago, you couldn't do multiple checks. You had a choice. And which one were you going to be today? You were hmm. black or white? Um and that's what I meant is I kind of struggled. So in the beginning of my career, I, you know, I put Caucasian and then I was very proud when I could identify with all parts of me. And since I couldn't click two, you know, at one point I put black. So, uh, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, I would be questioned about that. Uh, and it, you know, I was very proud that I identified with all parts of me, not just, you know, one this side or that side. And uh, so I struggled with that form, and because you didn't have multiple blocks, um, I struggled with it. That was part of the struggle that I was talking about earlier. But now, fast forward to now, you know, there's multiple blocks, but, I, you know, I chose to, you know, put black on there. And, um, you know, the lady looked at me and was like, that, you know, that's not funny. I like, yeah, no, it's not funny. And I said, uh, you know, my mom's white, my dad's black. What would you like me to put? <laughs> and she goes, I was a little snark, sarcastic with it, but she goes, we'll put other. Uh. Um, 
So, um, yeah. you know, as you know, well, I didn't tell you, but that was a uh, African-American that did that to me. So mm-hmm. um, that's a little, you know, for me, that was disappointing. Um, but it was that form. I agree with you, Chris, is, you know, I just I think we should. We just we got to, I struggle with that because, too, we, we also have to identify and somehow we have to know, are we doing something? So how do we measure as a military that maybe we're not as diverse or equitable as we should be? So how do we get the information that we need without having that form on the form? But, uh, I, you know, I personally say, yeah, let's just take it off. Uh, but then, um, you know, so how do we get the information to make sure that we're actually doing what we need to be doing? The military, as you say, is clearly moving in the right direction. But there on numerous occasions over the years, and not too distant past, um, have been numerous examples of folks that are in the military that don't necessarily want the military to move in that direction. You know, there have been situations where people who wear the uniforms have been exposed as not sharing those views and values of equity and uh, equality uh, from uh, from a number of perspectives. So. How do you how does how do you propose addressing that or or can you? Um, well, I'll be very uh, direct. It's just kind of what I think you get when you get the Sergeant Major Army. I say that uh, those uh, service members, military, Army personnel, that do not believe in the Army values should not be in the Army. And where we find that, I believe we need to. Um, take appropriate measures uh, to get them out of the military. It's not, that's not what we're about. We don't tolerate that. And you get it from every soldier, basic training, day one. Doesn't matter where you come from, <laughs> you know, it's the Army values and who they are. You know, the acronym is leadership. And it goes loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. So that is day one that you get. And it's, uh, it's what we're about. It's it's our values, and anybody that doesn't respect that, um, that's in the military, does not, in my opinion, doesn't need to be in the military. We've asked you about a number of things that were on our minds. Is there anything on your mind that you'd like to say or ask us? <laughs> um, well, you know, um, I, I guess the one question I would ask you is, what's the, you know, I, like I said, I, I love my Army, and I love being in the Army, and I, I truly believe we had a, you know, a great respect. Uh, I, I want to maintain that the Army is a great place to serve, uh, protect. We want to protect the nation, um, and that's what we we signed up to do. So I'd ask, um, are we are we still maintaining that same respect in your opinion, Chris? Uh, well, you know, I'm the Pollyanna on the show. Um, <laughs> no, so, you're not. Uh, <laughs> no, you're not. Well, I, I, I am, and, and I readily confess that. I tend to see um, the good in people, and I tend to see them an optimist. So I hope so. I think so. I think we've made great strides. We're not perfect yet, but I believe not only in the Army, but just in society in general, that we are moving in a dramatic way that I haven't seen since uh, the Civil Rights Movement in the 60s. Well, to answer the question, let me just first say, Chris is not the only Pollyanna on the show. I am, too. (laughs) I'm just not always a Pollyanna. But I I will say that, you know, and I am optimistic about things. 
And I will say that the Army is doing exactly what you said it was doing. It's moving in the right direction. And as you know, sir, movement, you know, depending on how big it is, can take a while. So I understand that this kind of movement, the direction that you're headed in, can take a while. But I do believe that the right things are happening, and I'm so glad that you were able to communicate that stuff to us today. Well, I thank you, and I appreciate uh, your confidence, and um, and that's what we inspire to do. Uh, we want to we want to maintain the respect of the nation, um, and we want to be a we're a great place to work, and uh, it's a calling and a service, uh, something that. You know, I've been a part of it for so long, so I'm extremely proud. And thank you uh, for your vote of confidence, and we want to make sure we maintain that. Thank you. It's been a great honor having you on our podcast. Honor, sir. Thank you. You're listening to Colors. Hello, my name is Rose Vonner Gaskins, and I'm originally from South Carolina. Most of my life's work has been in the area of diversity. Growing up in South Carolina as a black person in the 50s and 60s, I couldn't help but be impacted by racism. Beyond the very visual fountains that had signs for whites only and colored only, one major experience for me was not seeing visuals across the city of people of color. This to me meant that black people, people of color did not matter. They were not of value, did not contribute anything worthwhile to society. They did not count. My name is Lars Sindis. I'm an Indian Jamaican living in the United States for the last 25 years. I am a naturalized American citizen. The issue of race has been at the forefront of my existence from whence, as far as I can remember. And it cuts across all bounds. It's not just a white thing. It's a global thing. Even in Jamaica, there are levels of racism in our society, even though you may think that Jamaica is 98% non-white. The problems of racism, the implications of racism exist in our society there. But it's not as bad as here in the United States, where it is overt, it is blatant, it's in your face. It's pretty much everywhere you go. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Well, um, that very interesting interview. And I, I, can you explain this to me, JJ? Because I'm still a little bit unclear. So he said he has struggled his whole life for his racial identity because his mom was white and his dad was black. Why is it so important to establish one's um, racial identity? As somebody whose parents are both white and I'm white, uh, you know, I never had a struggle with it. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just asking, can you explain it to me why that's so important? Well, as somebody who's black with a black father and a black mother, I've never had to deal with that. So I can't answer that question in the definitive context that you may be seeking. But what I can tell you is that I totally understand what the man is saying. He is got two different identities out there and there are people in both camps that tug on that identity. You know, there's this constant um, affirmation that's being requested of him for those identities. And from my understanding and from the people that I know and that I've spoken to, it's really difficult to not be accepted by uh, one of your identities or both of them, which you can actually have that issue. So you're you're constantly struggling with that in every situation you find yourself in. Think about all of the 
the the the racial situations that any of us find ourselves in now as a person of one race. Well, here's a person of two races who has to balance in his head or her head, you know, because there's plenty of interracial, plenty of women who have the same issue. They have to balance in their heads all the time. How's this group going to feel about what I say, what I wear, what I do, where I am? And how's that going to impact what I want to do with my life? And it's not easy at all. Not e- not easy at all. I guess I, why do you care? Why does one care why, what other people think? Um, I mean, what, what, so what are they going to think about if I do this or this? I, I guess I don't understand I've, why, why, why do we care? Well, that that is a very good question you ask, but it's not that, it's not that simple. I mean, a lot of the people that find themselves in this situation are not independently wealthy. They don't have the ability to go off to some island or to some cloistered neighborhood uh, replete with all of the things that they need to sustain themselves and to be uh, self-sufficient. They have to interact and they depend on other people who are essentially uh, people with power, who control their jobs, who may control their other parts of their lives. So that's one of the reasons why people have to care what other people think. Now, the issue here is how far do you go and at what point you do you make a stand? And, you know, everyone is encouraged to make that stand for yourself despite what you're facing. But we have to understand that some people can't make that choice to uh, not care. And we have to respect that because, as I mentioned, what they do, what they wear, what they think, what they say, how they look is being judged. And we know this. We might as well just say it. People do that all the time. We judge each other all the time, fairly or unfairly, mostly unfairly. But it happens all the time. And people who find themselves in that kind of situation as a person of multiple races can struggle with that, as the sergeant major said, their entire lives because they're constantly dealing with this judgment. And why do we care about it? Those people who find themselves in the spotlight like that don't have an option because it's the people that are judging them that put them in that situation. Now, why do people judge? Well, you said it a couple of shows ago. It's just something that we do. It's something also that I think that we really need to take a look at. And and it's something that, that, that needs constant examination because we all do it but we really all need to be more considerate and thoughtful about people of different races who are made up of different races uh and and their struggles on a daily day-to-day basis we can't simplify who they are you know it's they are who they are and we should accept them and love them and treat them as 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 well as we would want to be treated and just understand that this is a difficult situation. A part of the reason why we talk about this is so we can work our way through it, I guess, my friend. And, and, get, and getting to that point, we, we have an email from um, a listener named Larry, and he says, uh, do you have any recommendations or suggestions as to how everyday people start to talk with each other? Uh, any talking to each other templates that you developed so far? Um, I think about it a second, but I, I, because I'm asking the question, I've, I've thought about it. And um, the interesting thing is that in order for people to talk about race, you got to feel comfortable. And I've had a lot of black friends in my life and you're probably the only one that I have felt 
welcomed me to talk about or wanted to talk about it or I felt at ease to talk about it, which is why, you know, we're still friends after a long time. It's something that we both like. And we did almost from the beginning. And it's not that I've not had conversations with others, but it's never been quite the same frank and open and non-judgmental exchange that you and I have had. So perhaps it's, you know, even though we keep saying talk to each other, talk to each other, it seems as if it's harder to do that than um, than I would like to believe. What's your thought? I don't think so. I don't think it's hard at all. I think if you have a friend and that person is a true friend, talk to them, tell them you want to talk about it. And if they're a true friend, they will. If they're not interested, then, you know, maybe the friendship has some growth it needs 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 to make. Um, But, no, you can't just go up to everybody, you know, that you consider a friend and just jump into a heavy conversation about this or anything, really. Um, but I do think though, it really depends on the type of relationship you have with people. And I will, I I will say this is something that's very important to me is to try to take each relationship that I have with everyone, give it the opportunity to grow into something, uh, that's, you know, better. We don't have to make things as hard as they seem. Sometimes we, we make them harder than they really are. If you're a friend, if you're a true friend then I should be able to talk to you about pretty much anything. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Kaur, and I'm white. And this is Colors. If you have a question or a comment, send us an email at thecolorspodcast, one word, at gmail.com. That's thecolorspodcast.com at gmail.com. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Podcast Colors. One of the benefits of following us is we have original, unique, and exclusive content there. Stuff that you won't even hear here. So get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. On a recent cable news program, Milwaukee, Wisconsin was referred to as the most racist city in America, but the former mayor takes issue with that. In 2010, it was rated, according to the Brookings Institute, as the number one most racist city in the country. But then so were Memphis. They were all in the top 10. Memphis, Detroit, uh, Kansas City, all the ones that have black populations. And it's disgusting. John Norquist says Milwaukee's detractors have got it wrong, and he sets the record straight. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Well, as always, before we leave, we like to give thanks to those who've helped us out. Hillary Howard, Michelle Bash, Mike Jakaitis, Jamie Smith, Thomas Warren, Sarah Beth Hensley, Dimitri Sotis, Sean Anderson, Larry Sindas, Tiffany Arnold, Fonda Mwangi, Julia Ziegler, Casper Mangalit, Joel Oxley, Beth Gibbs, Christopher Klutz, and Christy Rogers. And of course, we can't leave without saying thanks to Cosmic and Jesse Gallagher for our music. And of course, and most of all, thanks to you for listening. And remember, keep talking to each other. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts.